light of truth shining and dispelling all the darkness, all the lies, all the deception of the enemy, all the, uh, the religious type of pet doctrines that are not really biblical, but they're just there. Lord, that you'll just dispel all that stuff and bring truth and bring revelation, Lord. We love your word. And let it go forth in the power of the Spirit. Let your Holy Spirit just brood over us, Lord, and help us to have uh, our minds be able to stay focused. Lord, help our eyes and ears to be anointed, to be able to see and hear. Lord, touch our hearts tonight, that our hearts will be able to to be in tune with the voice of the Spirit of God, Lord. And help us to get everything out of this, that your will to be done. We, We take authority and bind anything of the enemy that would try to steal or hinder the Word of God. We bind that. We break his power in Jesus' name right now. But, Lord, let your word go forth in power and accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I began a series last week, and I'm going to continue into the Hebrew roots, but I, I talked about the communion table. And last week we really did a big illustration about the lampstand and the tabernacle and all that. I can't get back into that. I'll get bogged down. But if you want to go back and listen to that. Anyway, in the tabernacle, we know as you come into the tent on the left, is the lampstand on the right is the communion table, table of showbread. And then in front of you is the golden altar of incense. And then, of course, you go beyond the veil into the Holy of Holies. And the, the Ark of the Covenants there represents God's throne, His manifest presence. And so what I talked about was this. In Revelation, it said that if you neglect... The communion table, your first love, which is translated your supreme love feast. If you neglect that, he said, I will remove your lampstand. And that, that is a very concerning scripture. Because Jesus walks among the lampstands, and the lampstands represent the church. And it's a scary thought that, that people could get to a place, but I believe that it does happen. Where churches, maybe they have a sign there, and it says church. And maybe people gather there, but as far as heaven is concerned, it's not necessarily considered a church, it's just a social club. And that would be a scary thing, but it seems that the scriptures indicate that that is a possibility. And Jesus said he threatens that there could be a removal of your lampstand. And so I can't get back into all the illustration, but the lampstand represents God's presence, his power, his anointing, his revelation among us. It's the shining of God's revelation, the oil of the Holy Spirit, and God's presence and power. And I just say these things to really stir stir people up to really think about this and, and maybe consider this, that there's more of Jesus than what we have right now, okay? And some people feel maybe like, well, I'm just, I'm, I've arrived, I'm there. But let me just encourage you that the Apostle Paul said, I press on to the mark of the prize of the high calling. I forget what's behind, I'm pressing on. And if Paul said that, and also let me just remind you of this. Is your shadow or my shadow healing the sick? Okay, then there's more. Amen. <laughs> there's, and I think that we get too caught up with uh, sometimes the religion of what's around us. But if we would get by ourselves and really read the Bible, really read it and really believe it, read the book of Acts and believe it, that there would be a faith stir up in us like, man, we need to see more than what we're seeing. We can see more people saved. We can see more people healed. We can see more people delivered. And I'm just going to tell you that uh, the world's way of doing things um, counseling people to death, um, you know, all these sort of things that are world's methods. When the presence of the Lord comes and God touches people, I've seen it over and over and over and over. When Jesus touches somebody, what a lifetime of counseling, all the medication in the world, everything that man tries to do, when Jesus touches somebody, all that goes out the window, their whole life is changed forever. That's just the way that it is. And so we want Jesus to come touch people. And so we need his lampstand here. We need his presence and his power, his anointing here. And I talked about how at the communion table, there is a deep consecration unto God as we examine ourselves and confess our sin. But I believe that there's a lot more, okay, a lot more 
to the communion table than what a lot of people know in Christianity. A lot of churches don't talk about it, and a lot of churches don't even take communion, very often anyway. And there's a lot more to the communion table. I believe there's a lot more to even understanding what water baptism is. There's a lot more to it than a lot of Christians understand. Um, And there's a lot more to the anointing with oil. In James, it says that the anointing with oil and the, by the elders and prayer, prayer of faith will heal the sick. And some people say, well, there's not a lot of healing of the sick. Well, are, are we praying for the sick? Because, you know, what? a lot of times nobody's praying. You know, but if, you, if you'll start doing what the Bible says, anointing with oil and pray, you might start seeing a lot more people healed than what you uh, currently think. And once they start getting healed, then people's faith will come up, more people get healed. But communion, there is a deep consecration. Um, Just think about it. What represents Jesus' body and blood, what represents what he did at Calvary. That is, we take a moment to really reverence that. And and it comes out of the Passover meal. It's it's an amazing thing, which I'll have an illustrated sermon in about a month, where we go through the Last Supper, like an illustration, the Passover meal. But anyway, it comes out of that. But as as you sit there and you're taking this bread, that represents his body and what he did, the stripes he took, and the juice which represents the blood. Man, it's such a powerful thing. Think about it. It's like you're burying that down into your life fresh. And I'm telling you, those communion elements going into your body, that there is a consecration unto God. There just is. It's powerful. And um, communion also helps get us into the Holy of Holies, meaning God's manifest presence. That's one of the reasons why, one reason why I believe that God's presence comes in real powerful here and always has um, is because of the communion table. Because as people um, get fresh, think about it, the blood, I don't have time to get into this too much right now, but the blood of Jesus covering our lives fresh, it is the blood that brings us into the presence of God. It's not our self-righteousness. It's not our works. It's it's certainly not our flesh. It's not how much Bible we know. It's not how how high we jump in praise and worship. Uh, you know, all these things can be, you know, praise and worship things. Obviously, these are good, but it's not what gets you in. What gets you into God's manifest presence is the blood of Jesus washing and covering you. That's his grace and his blood, and that brings you into the presence of God. All right. And then I wanted to say a couple things. I'm going to dive into this. All right. So all through the tabernacle, the furniture, you have the table of showbread and all this other furniture in there. They all seem to have four rings and there would be these rings on the outside that you put a pole through. And if you were going and you had two rings on each side and there were poles through it, wherever you went, if you went up a hill and you're carrying, the priests are carrying this, you go up a hill, then every, every piece of furniture that has four rings would go like this. It would turn up, or when you go down a hill, it would turn down because it, it would move with the contour of the earth. But it was interesting to me that the golden altar of incense, which last week we talked about represents our praise, our worship, our prayer, our intercession, that that golden altar is the only furniture that only had two rings. And so if, if priests were carrying that golden altar, which they did, no doubt, and they were carrying it from one place to the next, they may go up a hill, but that golden altar would not turn. It would remain stable, remain the same position. And when they went back down a hill it would remain the same. It would never move with the contour of the earth. You know what that represents? Whether we're going through heaven on earth or we're going through hell on earth, our praise and our worship, our prayer and intercession needs to stay steady. And once we learn that, see, a lot of people, we need to understand that we are a body, soul, and a spirit. And our inner spirit man is the part of us that the Holy Spirit is living in. It's the part of us that's born again. But your soul area is your mind, your, um, your intellect, okay, your mind, your imagination, your memory. It also, your soul has to do with your personality. It has to do with your emotions. It's the part of you that uh, makes decisions. That's the soul. But the soul area has to be renewed. The mind has to be renewed by the, the word of God. And so we've got to begin to change the way we think. And then your physical body is your flesh. That's the sin nature. That's where your sin nature is because when Adam and Eve sinned, they sinned with their flesh, their body. And there's a sin nature there. 
And so your physical body is under a curse. Your physical body is going to age. Your physical body is going to die, even though my wife doesn't seem to age. People see her after years, and they're like, you look the same. Do you ever age? You know, it's, but anyway, the rest of us age. And uh, as you get older, it's, your, it's that sin nature that's in the body. And your body is obviously your five senses, your sight, hearing, smell, taste, and touch. And, and what does the Bible say? The Bible says we've got to die to that flesh, that sinful nature, and walk in the Spirit. And we can only do that by the power of the Holy Spirit, and I believe that your personal prayer life has a lot to do with that. As you spend time in prayer, you die to the flesh, and you come out of that prayer time walking in the Spirit. But the part of you that has got to be renewed is that soul area. The way that you think and the way that your emotions are. So many people are very unstable. They're very up one day and very down the next day. Their emotions are roller coasters. They're up and down, in and out. The Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. But once we learn by the power of the Holy Spirit helping us, to renew our minds, that we're not going to think on garbage all the time. Amen? We're not going to think about bitter thoughts about this person wronged us and just sit around thinking about it over and over. We're not going to think about lustful thoughts. We're not going to think about violent thoughts. We're not going to think rebellious thoughts. We're going to dismiss that garbage out of our minds, and we're going to focus on the good things, the Word of God, and, and renew our minds with the washing of the water of the Word, and we're going to begin to get a disciplined mind. And we're going to get a disciplined emotions. We're not going to fly off the handle and lose our temper. We're not going to blow up over here. We're not going to be in this deep, dark hole of depression, then this really high mountain of, you know, it's just like all this crazy flip-flopping all over the place. We're going to learn to keep our emotions under control. And see, by the power of the Holy Spirit, God is wanting that your inner spirit man is like king, but your soul is is like the servant, and your body is like the slave. Let me say that again. God wants your inner spirit man to be like the king, but he wants your soul area to be like a servant, and he wants your body to be like a slave. He wants our flesh to be under subjection. He wants our soul area to be disciplined, and he wants us to walk in the spirit. And that's that golden altar. Whether you're having a good day, whether you're having a bad day, you're going to learn by the power of the Holy Spirit, to walk in the joy of the Lord. And believe me, sometimes it's hard, but you're going you're gonna to do it because the joy of the Lord is your strength. You're going to renew your mind. You're going to focus. Instead of focusing on the negative circumstance, you're going to focus on the Word. And see, that's the thing. When we start focusing on the Word, we realize, hey, wait a second. The Bible says all things work together for the good. This is somehow going to be a testimony. Somehow God's going to give me the victory. He's going to answer my prayer, and I'm going to come out of this victorious. And when we think that way, and we keep our emotions under control, and we, we keep that praise and worship, I'm telling you, there is a life of victory in that. And Romans 12 says, we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. I know you all, you all know this, but just for the sake of maybe somebody that hasn't heard this. But the, the word renewed there, being transformed, rather, is the word metamorpho in the Greek, and it's where we get the word uh, metamorphosis. So a caterpillar goes in the cocoon, there's a metamorphosis, it comes out the butterfly. All right. How many knows that a caterpillar and a butterfly live very different lives? Okay, you can choose to live the caterpillar life, or you can choose to live the butterfly life. And it is a choice. Because the caterpillar is going to crawl very slow everywhere it goes, and it's, it's bound to the contour of the world. Okay, every time it comes up against a rock, it's got to climb over that rock. Okay? <laughs> it is going to have difficulties. But the butterfly is going to be able to get where it's going faster, and it's going to soar above the contour of the earth. And God does not want us bound by the world's system like the world is. See, the world looks at it, and the economy goes down, different things happen, and the world, they all wring their hands and freak out. But God is saying to us, if we'll live the life that we're supposed to live as Christians, no matter what happens in the world, he's going to take really good care of us. And that's that butterfly life. So the, there's a dividing line in this end times. I've got to move quickly in this, but there's a dividing line in the end time. Um, right now, I believe with all my heart, um, I'm a student of Bible prophecy. We did a 30-part series on the end times recently, longest series I've ever done in my life. 
And uh, it was really interesting, though, and I enjoyed it. But I love end-time prophecy, and I've studied it for years. And I believe that we are living in the last days. I really do. All the signs point to it. Somebody would have to be totally ignorant of the word to not know that. So we're seeing it all over, including things like Israel. You see the Gog and Magog war with Iran and um, Russia and others. And there, there's so much I could rabbit trail. But anyway, my point is there's a dividing line. And there's no longer going to be, well, I'm telling you, this is happening. There's no longer going to be people able to ride the fence. See, before Jesus comes, there's not going to be in this fence riding business. Um, the God's already electrifying the fence and frying people's honeys right now as we speak. You're going you're gonna to figure out which side of the road you're on. All right, but it's, it's not going to happen. And, and I'm going to tell you something. Before Jesus comes, people are, there's not going to be some middle ground. Either, either you're going to be with Jesus or you're going to be with the Antichrist, the false Messiah. That's, that's not going to be any um, in between. And so there's, there's this time right now where God is drawing a line in the sand and he's calling us to come deeper in him. And you can see that there's a great move of God, a great revival that's going on among God's remnant. People are really getting hungry for God. People are getting the sin out. They're getting ready for his coming. But you see the world getting so much more deceived and dark. I mean, it's a radical difference. And it's going to keep going that way. I mean, it's the more and more it goes, the further it's going to be apart. And we're seeing these days, and one of the reasons why I'm doing this sermon right now is because I believe that just like the children of Israel, when it came time, they were in Egypt for for many, many years, okay? And when it came time for them to leave Egypt on their way out, God gave them the Passover, and they came under the blood, and it was like something right as they were coming out. And I believe that we're living in a time where the coming of the Lord is near, And I believe that we need to understand the communion table. And as I teach on this, I believe you're going to understand why. We are close to the Lord's coming. And God's wanting to consecrate us and bring us under his blood and protect us in these last days. And um, also, the reason why I'm talking about the Hebrew roots, I can't dwell on this at all. But you have to understand that Christianity comes out of the Hebrew roots. And I, I know this is going to really be a lot for some people but i can't dwell on it to explain i've already explained it before but um your root system is either going to be the hebrew roots of the bible going back to jesus going back to abraham and that root system or it's going to be more catholic and that tends to be where a lot of people are but the reason why i'm trying to make that an emphasis is this i believe the bible's clear that the antichrist will be a false messiah he's going to be a false christ And if people are not introduced to the true Jesus Christ, the true Jesus, and they don't know the true Jesus, they may get sucked into a deception into following a false Jesus one day. And so I'm trying to get people back to the Hebrew roots to understand um, a lot of things that, that are not taught, unfortunately. All right. So we receive the blessings associated with communion by faith. Everything, the reason why I've been talking about faith today more than usual is because we have got to develop our faith. I went through, I've been through some very, very difficult times in life. A lot of times people get up and say things like that and it's hard to express. And I don't think a lot of times we have the ability to express it. And I certainly don't think people have the ability to really understand because they weren't there. Um, I've lost everything twice. When I say everything, I mean everything. And I've been through some very dark times. Now, through, that, through those times, God has taught me to get into his word. And I'm going to tell you that when I talk about faith, it, mean, it means something to me. Is I, I've really gotten in the word of God and alone with God and meditate on his word and got his word in me. And now I know his word. And because of that, there's, there's a faith that you develop in God. Okay, and we've got to have this faith. And whenever you get up and preach like this, see, a lot of people don't know the things in the scriptures because they're not being told and it grieves me because i love everybody out there and i'm not mad at nobody but you know the sermons out there sometimes are so shallow we all know jesus loves us man you know i mean there's they're the basic we know we know but it's like we need to get a little deeper and get some meat we need to get off the milk and get onto some meat man and grow up in god and this is kind of where i'm coming from with this and a lot of people don't know, and once you know what the Bible says, there's a faith right there. But then on top of that, 
whenever you preach the word and people hear it, it seems like faith comes by hearing the word. It seems like it really puts a faith in people to believe. So I'm going to talk about these things about the communion table, and I'm going to believe God. And you watch. When you leave here, you're going to look at communion different. And when you take it, you're going to have a new level of faith you've never had before. I guarantee you. It's not because of me. It's just because this is the word. And when we hear the word. All right. Number one is one lamb per household. Listen, when the children of Israel were in Egypt and God gave them the Passover, they had one lamb, but that one lamb in that house affected the entire household. So whoever was a part of that household, it didn't even have to be relatives. It may have been people that were somehow in that household. Everybody there was affected by that lamb. Whenever that that husband would put the blood on the doorpost, okay, he would take hyssop, which was like grass. Okay, just picture grabbing a handful of grass and making it a paintbrush. And he would take the blood, and he would dip it, and he painted it on that. Everybody under that blood was protected. Everybody was affected. So let me show you 1 Corinthians 7, 14. It says, for the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his believing wife. The unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband. For otherwise your children were unclean, but now they are holy. Now, granted, people have got to accept Jesus as their Savior, okay, to go to heaven. But there's something here. There was a woman that had a, a son, this true story, came out of California, and the pastor that was telling, me, telling us this, it was in his church, he was saying there was a woman there, and she had a son that was really wayward. He got deeply involved in the occult. He got deeply involved in sexual sins. He was very rebellious. He was very defiant. He moved out. They were estranged from one another for quite some time. And she was very grieved and very upset about this and she would pray earnestly for him daily and god spoke to her one day how many knows when god speaks man right there everything's about to change but god spoke to her and said one lamb per household and she understood it was by the holy spirit she understood that god wanted her to take the communion but he wanted her to believe for her family and you know she got alone with god and nobody knew about this it's something god spoke to her she got alone with god And she took communion. She said, Lord, I bring my son, I bring my family under the power of the blood of Jesus right now. And something happened in the spirit realm. She soon after that, like a day later, it was very soon, she gets a call from her son. Her son's crying. He hadn't talked to her in a long time. He's crying. He said, Mom, I'm sorry for the way I was acting. Make a long story short, he gave his life to Jesus. And he came back and reconciled with her. When, when she took communion, something broke in the spirit. That boy was under the bondage of the devil. But here's the promise that we can stand on. All of us have family members that we can be believing for. People that are not in this room right now, some of them away from God. Some of them may be Christians, but they're backslid. Others have never known the Lord. Maybe children, grandchildren. You're concerned about them. But they're, they're somehow associated with you. And the Bible is clear. That the, the believing spouse can have a sanctifying effect on the unbelieving spouse. That believing parent can have a sanctifying effect on their children. And the Bible shows us in Acts 16.31 that whenever Paul and Silas, they were in prison, remember that? And the, they began to praise God. The earthquake hits. They break out of jail. <laughs> And the jailer comes, and in those days, if, if your prisoners got loose, you were dead. You know, they were going to kill you. And so he was ready to fall on his sword, and Paul said, whoa, wait a second, don't do that. We're all here. It's okay, you know. And he leads him to Christ, but you ought to read what he says. It's really interesting. He says, God wants to save you and your household. The children of Israel always thought that way. It wasn't just you, but it was your household. They always thought that way. And so God is interested not only in saving you, but he wants to save your family. And some of you have children and grandchildren that you're concerned about, and they're not here right now. But I'm telling you, when you come in this place and you take communion with us, you've got to understand in the spirit realm, how many knows there's no distance in the spirit realm? There's no limitations with God. And you can literally, by faith, it's by faith, but by faith we can bring them under the power of the blood of Jesus. And there's some kind of a sanctifying effect that is affecting them wherever they are. And I'm telling you, it affects them. And there can be, 
a generational blessing. You know, I, I know because of my wife's testimony, I understand generational curses. I take these things serious. We've had to break things. I've had to break things with other people. But did you know there's a flip side? Did you know that there is generational blessings? And did you know that generational blessings can traffic down family lines and really affect people in a major way? And what you do in here, when we're taking communion, you have to understand that there's generational blessings that are forming in the spirit realm that are affecting your family, even though they're not here. Let's take it from like the flip side. Let's say that a parent went out and they, they did something really bizarre. They got mixed up with a witch. They went through some satanic ritual with her and it was really evil. What that parent did can release something that negatively affects their children and their grandchildren. We all know that. Okay, now let's flip it to the other side. When people come in here and we're taking communion together, I'm telling you that something is happening that is radically changing lives. It's affecting people in the spirit realm. All right, the second thing I want to bring out is this, the protection. Job 1.9. All right, we know the Exodus story. The blood on the doorpost protected the whole family, okay? But also Job. This was actually probably in the times more of like when Abraham lived. This was a long time ago. And so in this time, um, the head of the house, those that were righteous, they understood that it had to be the blood of a sacrifice. This was before Moses. This was before the temple and all that. So they understood that for their family, they had to shed blood They had to sacrifice an animal, and their family, their household, would come under the blood of that animal, and there was a protection there. And so Job was doing that. Whenever time would pass, and his children were having parties and different things, he was concerned in his heart that maybe some of his children had had done something to offend God. And so he would get up early, and he he would be like the priest he's supposed to be to his family. And he would get up and he would pray for his family. And he would kill an animal and shed blood. And he would offer that sacrifice unto God. And he was bringing his whole household under the blood. This is is the same as what we're doing whenever I'm talking about taking communion. You're bringing your whole household under the blood. But anyway, he would bring his household under the blood of that sacrifice. And listen, this is an amazing story. Satan himself goes before God. And this is what Satan says about Job. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not put a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? Did anybody ever consider the fact that that blood, even the blood of an animal, had the power to put a hedge of protection around Job, his family, his household, his finances, his animals, his land, his property, Everything that was associated with him, there was a hedge about it. There were Satan himself saw that hedge and knew, I can't get to that man. Now, let me just say this. If the blood of an animal, all those thousands of years ago, can have that, and that would have been, what, about 4,000 years ago, because this was back in the days of, of Abraham. If the blood of an animal had the power to put a hedge around Job and all that he had to where Satan himself, not some little imp troll demon, that Satan himself couldn't get to him. How much more does the blood of Jesus Christ bring a protection? We have the fullness. When Jesus came, the blood before Jesus, the blood of animals literally just covered sin. But now that Jesus has come, Jesus is the Lamb of God that was slain once and for all, and his blood literally washes away your sin. It's gone. And his blood brings protection in an awesome way. And this is connected to the first cup of the Passover meal. When you do the Passover meal, it's amazing because there's so much symbolism. But the first cup is called the cup of sanctification. And God is wanting to set us apart as a holy people. And I'm concerned because I don't think that a lot of the church world right now, at least in America and in the West, really understand about being set apart and holy unto God. God is wanting us to be a holy people, set apart. A holy people that when people see us, they see something different. They're not going to hear profanity out of our mouths. We're not, we're not you know, smoking and, and, and drinking and doing drugs and, and going to bars and clubs and sleeping around and doing all the stuff that was in our sinful past, that was in my sinful past. We're not living that way. We're, whole, we're different. We've been washed. 
We have a new birth. The Spirit of God is in us. Now we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Old things have passed away. Everything's become new. I'm a new creation. I'm different. I don't want those things anymore. And I want to be holy unto God. I want my body to not do those things anymore. All right. And then number three is deliverance from satanic oppression. Galatians 3.13. There was a woman named Doreen Irvine. And she wrote a really powerful book. She, she lived um, several years ago. She might still be alive, but if she is, she's very elderly. But she, she gave her life to the Lord. She was a Satanist. Um, she was pretty high up in witchcraft. And uh, she was a prostitute as well. And she was just a heathen. Okay, she lived in England. And she got saved at a crusade where the power of God was awesome. And, but you've got to understand, these evangelists come through, and it's amazing. Praise God, we need evangelists. But they come through and all these people get saved and they, they have to go, you know. And so she was looking for a church. And she went to a church that was real traditional, real religious. But at least, praise God, they took communion. And so they break out the communion elements. And here they come. They wheel it out, you know. And she, she was sitting there. And she said that they would bring out the communion. And she said when the communion got near her, she would fall on the ground and start manifesting demons. Everybody was scared of her. Nobody knew what to do. And she goes to the pastor afterward. Think about this. Nobody does anything. They're just kind of standing there just looking at her, you know, and just waiting for her to get done with her episode. And, you know, it's just, this is serious. I mean, this is high church right here, okay? Nobody move. Nobody say anything. You know? And so she, she's leaving, and she tells the, the bishop there or whatever, she says, listen, I was involved in this, this, and this, and this, and this. And she said, it was just like he just turned white. He just went pale. And God, he didn't know what to do. So she was crying out to God, God, I need to be delivered. But my point is, uh, make the long story short, she got a, a hold of a guy that was a powerful, spirit-filled, uh, tongue-talking, powerful man of God that came in there and cast the demons out. Amen. All right, so the, back to the story here. Um, she, but she, the demons recognized the power of the communion table. And they didn't want her taking communion. Whenever that came, they were like, uh-uh, they'd all throw this episode. She'd fall down on the ground like she was having some kind of seizure or something. See, they, the devil understands the power of what's going on there. The power of the blood. I'll tell you something that demons hate is the blood. All right. <clears throat> Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is anyone who's hung on a tree. In order that Christ Jesus, that, I'm sorry, in order that in Christ Jesus the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. All right. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. One of the things that was paid for at Calvary was deliverance from demonic oppression. Satan was defeated at Calvary. Everything, I'm talking about complete and total victory over the devil at Calvary. Every curse, every bondage, every stronghold, every evil spirit, everything, when Jesus hung on that cross and his blood was shed, they were defeated 100% at Calvary. Okay? And so whenever we take the Lord's Supper, you have to understand that there is a power of deliverance there. That if people have had struggles, maybe they've had a struggle with alcoholism, they've had a struggle with lust, they've had other struggles. Things maybe that traffic down family lines, stuff they were, their, their baggage from the past, whatever it is that they want to be free from, whenever they are closing their eyes and they're taking that communion, they can remember, wait a second, when Jesus died on the cross, he paid for my total deliverance. And so I believe Whenever I take this, it represents Jesus' body and blood, that when I do this and I drink this juice, I'm believing that the power of Satan is defeated and this stuff's going to be broke off my life. And I'll tell you something, there's a lot of people set free at the communion table. At the, the Passover meal that Jesus did with his disciples and were done, there, you know, Jesus would have done every year with his family. They, this was going on for 3,500 years, okay? But while this was going on, the second cup is the cup of deliverance in the Passover meal. And so many times people will take their finger and there'll, there'll be a drop. You remember this? There'll be a drop on the napkin and they're remembering the ten plagues that God delivered Egypt. But I'll tell you something. When you look at that napkin and there's these drops there that look like drops of blood on that napkin, you have to realize that those drops were just like the foot of the cross 
where Jesus was hanging on that cross and blood was dropping on that ground. And those drops of blood break the power of Satan. It does. I've heard Reinhard Bonnke talk about in Africa that he'll go through there and he's preaching. All these people come to Jesus. But you have to understand that so many of them have been in bondage to the, the local witch doctors. And they've, done, they've drank potions and they've been involved in satanic stuff. And they, they own satanic objects. And that was just the culture. And he said they would accept Jesus. But he said that he would ask the pastors when he would go minister there. What satanic strongholds and what satanic bondages are these people in? And the pastors would tell him. And he would write down the names of certain things, that maybe the witch doctors and the different stuff that's going on. And they would set up big tubs and they would be, set them on fire. And they'd tell people, you need to, when you get saved, you need to bring your witchcraft garbage and you need to burn it. And they would come there with all their junk and they would throw it in the fire and burn it. And Reinhardt would get up there and he'd leave, lead them to Jesus. They'd accept Christ and then he'd go through the list. And he would have them pray. And renounce these things. And it said, he said whenever he'd get up there and he'd begin to break this stuff off them, demons were manifesting and leaving people. And he made this statement. I'll never forget it. He said it only takes one drop of Jesus' blood to set that whole region free. That's it. Jesus has come to deliver the captives. All right, so the, the fourth one is Healing. I'm going to tell you, though, there's, there's many people that are healed at the communion table. Healing is very strong at the communion table. All right, 1 Peter 2.24. He himself bore in his body our sins on the cross so that we might die to sin and live righteousness. That's the thing. We can die to sin and live righteously. And by his wounds you were healed. Past tense, you were healed. So when Jesus was going to the cross, most of us have seen the passion of the Christ, and we understand that was very graphic, what he had to go through. But Jesus, he, he was willing to go before the cat of nine tails that plowed open his back. He was willing to go through that for our healing. And I don't believe it's just physical healing. I believe that... That, that people have wounded spirits that need to be healed. People have damaged um, emotions and psychological damage. They've been through trauma. They've had broken hearts. They've been betrayed. They've been hurt. And they've got to be healed in that soul area, but also physical healing. Jesus took that, with that cat of nine tails, plowed his back open. He took that healing right there. He paid for it in full. And when he hung up on the cross like that, the front of the cross seems to be for the forgiveness of sins, but the back of the cross is for healing. And the third cup in the Passover meal, this was the cup that Jesus used to institute communion. They got past the first two cups, and he took that third cup, and that third cup was called the cup of redemption. And Jesus took the bread. It was probably the afikoman bread, and you guys are familiar with it. He took the bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to him, and he held up that third cup, that cup of redemption. All right, what you have to understand, redemption means to be purchased. Jesus paid for sin, he paid for sickness, and he paid for deliverance in full at Calvary. And when the children of Israel were leaving Egypt, the children of Israel, there's no doubt that being slaves like they were, all those years, they were probably malnourished. I'm sure that the drinking water was not clean. I'm sure that they were sickly. I have no doubt the way that they were, they were abused and used like that out in the heat. There's no doubt that many of them were sick. And many of them were, um, had a lot of pain in their body. But the Bible says when the children of Israel left Egypt, and they came out with Moses, it says that there were none sick or feeble among them. And that is a true miracle, because you're looking at a whole nation. How in the world did a whole nation change in their health like that? It was the Passover meal is what did it. And when they left Egypt, they left having partaken of that, um, that lamb, which is a picture and type of what we're doing at the communion table. 
And you'll notice that last week I read the scripture, but the Apostle Paul said that there are people in the body of Christ. What did he say? He said they're sick and they're feeble and some of them dying before their time, not rightly discerning the body of the Lord. And so there's tremendous healing at the communion table. And I understand that healing is received by faith, but I also understand sometimes there's other issues that need to be dealt with. Sometimes people have inner healing issues that affect their physical health. A broken heart can affect your physical health. There's also times that people have demonic bondage that they're totally unaware of, but it's affecting their health. And you have to deal with those things, okay? But at the communion table, this is where a lot of that stuff can take place, where there can really be a healing of broken hearts. There can be a freedom from demonic bondage, and there can be tremendous physical healing that takes place. Now, I'll tell you something else. The Bible says the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us and gives life to our bodies. I thank God that my wife, she had come out, you guys know her story, she'd come out of witchcraft and the occult, Satanism, all that. And thank God that she, it was just the work of the Lord, but she ended up in a spirit-filled church. I mean, she didn't know one church from the other. She wouldn't have known. But she ended up in a spirit-filled church where they believed in the power of God. And those people had faith, and they, they got her free from a lot of stuff. And if she had ended up in some place where they're just patting on the back saying, oh, you just need Prozac. You just need counseling. She'd still be in bondage and probably wouldn't be where she is right now. She needed people that knew the Bible and believed the Bible and knew the power of God. And here's something else that's interesting. The Bible says this, okay? When the children of Israel came out, God told them he was going to send forth his angel. But it says in there that the angels hearkened to the word of the Lord. It says that in the Bible. Let me give you some scriptures about the angels. This is really interesting to me. Because I've had times in my life where I know that God sent an angel. There was no doubt. All right, the Bible says the angels of the Lord encamp around those that fear him and they deliver them. Did you know if you fear the Lord, you have a wholesome, healthy fear of God, did you know the Bible promises you that there could be angels around your life to deliver you out of times of trouble? How many would like that? And also the Bible says if you're a secret place dweller, that the angels of the Lord will accompany you in all your ways, and they will bear you up in their hands lest you dash your foot against a stone. Isn't that awesome? And it says in another place, I don't have the reference, but it says the angel of the Lord's presence is with them to save them. And the word save there means like deliver them out of trouble. Let me give you a few more. And the Bible shows that those that keep Passover, this is interesting because this is in the word. It says that the angel will go before them to cause them to get into their promised land. Did you know that God can send angels in front of you to make sure that you get into your destiny, that you get into your promised land? And it says this, it says that those angels will be a terror to their enemies and throw their enemies into confusion and cause their enemies to flee before them. And then the final scripture is in Hebrews, and it says that the angels of the Lord are ministering spirits sent to minister unto us as heirs of salvation. So let me tell you something, guys. When you're meditating on the word of God, like I gave you those scriptures, and I'm going to give you some more. When you're meditating on the word of God, there's a faith that's working in you But when you vocalize the word of God and you speak it out loud over your family, did you know that the Bible says that the angels hearken to the word of the Lord? I'm telling you something that's powerful. When you speak out the word of God, those angels hear that and they're like, you know what? That is what is written. That is God's word. And I'm going to go enforce God's word over the devil. So vocalize the scriptures over your family. Speak the promises of God over your life. When you do things, do it with faith. Listen, I I don't know. I'm not trying to pick on any one thing, but let's just say tithing. When you tithe, believe God. The Bible says, I will rebuke the devourer. 
I will open the heavens and I'll pour out more blessings than there's room to contain. When you tithe, think about that scripture and release it in faith and vocalize that. Lord, you said that you're going to rebuke the devourer. And you know what? The angels of the Lord hear the word. And they're saying, that's what the Bible says, and I'm going to enforce that in this person's life. Their house would have sprung a leak. That that would have happened. This car would have broke down, but I'm going to stop it from happening because the Bible says that the devourers rebuke. Does this make sense? Vocalize the word of God over your life. All right, here's number five, supernatural provision. Here's the seven blessings for those keeping Passover. And see, Paul said keep the feast, but he understood that it's not just Passover because that's once a year, but it's also Passover slash the communion table throughout the whole year because communion comes out of the Passover meal. So when Paul was saying keep the feast, not with the leaven of wickedness, but unleavened bread, he's, it's a reference to Passover. But look at what the promise is for Passover and for the communion table. Look at this. The Bible says that God will assign an angel to take you where you're supposed to go. Look at this. God says, I will be an enemy to your enemies. How many wants God to be an enemy to your enemies? God said, I will prosper you. I will remove sickness from your midst. You're not going to die before your time. I'm going to give you increase in inheritance and restoration from what the devil has stolen from you. That's awesome. All right. And here's the thing about supernatural provision. When the children of Israel were in the wilderness, God would provide manna. Jesus was referring to this when he said, I am the true manna that comes down from heaven. And he said to those people there, and he knew it was going to offend them. Listen, if we want to be like Jesus, we're just going to speak the truth whether it offends people or not. That's the way it was. Read John chapter 6 if you don't believe me. Jesus was not this this thing that people are trying to make him out to be in our society. He was bold, and he told it like it was. And if people didn't like it, they could leave. But he told it straight. And you can read it in John 6 if you don't believe me. Anyway, in John 6, it says that Jesus was referring to his... Uh, the communion table, but they didn't know that. He said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. And the people heard this, and they got offended, and they left. And Jesus didn't go running after them going, hey, guys, wait a second, hold hold on. I'll calm things down. I'll change my message. I just want everybody to like me. Just come back, please. He didn't do that. He said, go on then. And he turns to his disciples and says, are you going to leave too? And his disciples, Peter says, no. We don't have nowhere to go. You have the words of life. We're with you, thick and thin. We're with you, Jesus. But Jesus was saying, I am the bread that came down from heaven. I am the true manna from heaven. And so the children of Israel, listen, when they were in the wilderness time, they kept eating this heaven bread. This heaven bread would come down every day, And they would go out and gather these little manna wafers, whatever they were, and they would bring them in and they would eat this. But I want you to notice something. They spent those years eating manna from heaven, which was heavenly food, okay, straight from God. And the Bible says about them that their clothes didn't wear out, their sandals didn't wear out. Somehow, there was supernatural provision for them. Whenever they needed water, there would be a rock that would give them water. There was some kind of a supernatural provision that followed Israel. And I believe it was connected to the manna. And Jesus said, I am the true manna. See, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, which is two words, Beit, which means house, and Lechem, which is bread. Jesus was born in the house of bread. God made sure Jesus was born in the house of bread because he is the true bread of life from heaven. And also, I want you to notice this, that Joshua and Caleb, even though Joshua and Caleb were part of that wicked generation, God blessed them. Now, whenever they, it was time to take the promised land, Joshua and Caleb were maybe like 80 years old or something, but they were still just as young, healthy, and strong as they were 40 years ago. So let me tell you two stories about that real quick. There was a lady um, named Fran, and some of you guys actually met this lady. All right, some of y'all remember She went to another church, but that pastor had me come preach there, and I was preaching along different lines, but I talked about the communion table. Fran had to be 90-something years old. She had to be 93 to 97, somewhere in there. And I was preaching this way, and she comes up to me afterwards, and she says, Pastor Scott, I want to talk to you. I said, yeah. She said, well, she said, I was listening to your sermon tonight, and she said, you know, 
she said for, for years, many, many years, she said, I've been taking communion on my own at home, just by myself with the Lord. And she said, I just wanted to tell you that as old as I am, she said, I still drive, I still go to church every week, I'm still active, I'm still in here involved. And she was, the pastor told me, she's really involved, she's always there. And she said, I really believe it was, it's because of the communion table in my life. Let me tell you another one. This is a, this is a funny story. So um, this, this old gentleman, he got very elderly. I don't know his exact age, but he was old. And all of his friends had passed. You know, they, they grew old and died. And he was telling this preacher, he said, you know, he said, why won't the Lord just let me die and go home? You know, because <laughs> he was really old. And the, the preacher told him, so well, brother so-and-so, he said, you know, you take communion on your own daily like that. He said, brother, you're not going to die easy. <laughs> There's something about the power of the communion table that's helping to keep people young, healthy, and strong and bring supernatural provision in their life. Just like the children of Israel in the wilderness. They ate that manna daily, but there was abundant provision and there was, there was protection. All right, the last two things, the atmosphere of heaven. And we'll close with these. Cleansing homes and land. All right, number one is the cleansing of home and land. I, I can't really teach too much on this. We actually, my wife and I wrote something, and it's on the Internet if you want it. But it has to do with going through and praying over your home. Um, but anyway, land needs to be prayed over spiritually. When you buy a home, you need to pray over because you don't know what people have done there before you got there. And so there, there really can be a spiritual pollution in a house. And so over the years of being in ministry, I've been in ministry now for you know quite a while, about 20 years, doing different things. I've done a lot of evangelism and outreach and um, just different things. But anyway, I've seen a lot. And I've seen a lot of homes now, and I've seen a lot of places that need to be cleansed. And I've learned, I didn't originally get this on my own. I got this from other preachers, but the power of the communion table when it comes to cleansing homes. And I found this to be really powerful. Let me tell you a couple quick stories about it. There was a pastor back in the 90s, and we know him. It's, it's Doug Holt. My parents know him, too. He had this seminar that he was doing where he was having people come in, and they were, they were talking about the time, um, exposing some things with Satanism. And there was, the reason why he was having it was because there was problems with it in his city. This was out at East Texas. And it was such a, a powerful thing going on at his church that actually law enforcement were coming to the conference because they wanted to learn about it. And a lot, a lot of good was going on. And my wife had actually just recently got saved and was going to that church. And so the pastor was telling me, man, he said, when I started talking about this stuff, he said it was like all, all hell just broke loose. He said, I started getting crazy phone calls, crazy weird stuff started happening. And he said, I'd drive up to the church and I'd see people there and they'd scurry off and there was a van there. And God spoke to him. These are people coming and trying to curse the church. And, and so he was praying about it and God told him, here's what I want you to do. He said, I want you to, to stake off this land and pray over it. So he goes down like the Home Depot or something and buys these just some wooden stakes, and he walks the property. He's walking this big old lot. You guys have seen it. He's walking it out to the Lord. I bring this under the blood of Jesus. Everything's under the blood. And he goes through to the four corners and puts those stakes in the ground. This is marked off. These four corners right here are marked off. This is under the blood. This is holy. And there's not going to be no more of this satanic stuff going on. And did you know after that, he didn't have any problems? He staked that thing off. He brought it under the blood. And I've seen, and, and others have, even in this room, people have told me some things that have happened, but I've seen where people come into a home and they're having some spiritual problems, but as they prayed, and I originally got this from another minister that has a real powerful deliverance ministry. He said he was having a real hard time in this one house and God spoke to him to take communion with the family. And they went outside and just took a shovel and just opened up that land and he said, Lord, we've taken communion, but we're bringing the power of the body and blood of Jesus into this land. And they put some of that, that bread in there. They put some of that juice. And he said when they poured that juice out, it was like something broke off that whole property. It was just like a black cloud broke and lifted off that home. Isn't that awesome? The power of the blood. When you bring things under the power of the blood of Jesus, the demonic is going to be broken and free. Flee, I mean. All right, so once a year... The, the priest had to consecrate the golden altar. They had to bring it under the blood. 
It is the responsibility of a pastor to keep the atmosphere in the church holy. Let me tell you, it's important. I remember a preacher, it was uh, Perry Stone, some of you guys are familiar, he was saying that he used to pray in churches, and, and there was times that he would be walking through the church and he would come into a, a, a pew where it just it felt really spiritually, spiritually funky. He knew something went right. And there was, there was one time he said he asked a pastor, and he said, these three spots, he said, what's up with these three spots? And that pastor said, man, you had to hear from God because those are the three church problem people in my church. And that's where they sit. And there was a spiritual funk right there. And so I remember one time there was another preacher. I'm telling these stories for a reason. There was another preacher saying that um, he had had some issues, like, for example, he was preaching on a Jezebel spirit. And he said that he would go through the church and he would walk through with his hands up through the pews and all that. And this is what he said. He said he would pray, God, don't allow these people to get any relationships in this church. Don't allow them to get embedded in this church. Don't allow them to, to uh, you know, develop anything here. But Lord, just like an infected tooth, reach in and pull them out. Pluck them out of this church. And he said it wasn't long he's walking through praying like that that people start getting offended some of these people and just left. I had a vision one time. I was praying. We were praying about um, the Jezebel spirit out there in churches. And I was just praying about it. One of our prayer meetings, God really laid on my heart. And I had a vision. I saw this. I saw an angel walk into a church. And he's, you know, his shoulders were back. He was walking like military. He walks in and there's some woman just standing there talking. And he grabbed her by the collar. And he just turned around and started walking. And as soon as he did that, she started manifesting. She started screaming and yelling and cussing at people. She was making threats against the church and all this stuff. And she's steadily going backward doing it just like this, throwing up her arms and yelling. And that angel just walked right out of the church and she was gone. See, a lot of times people don't see that in the spirit realm. But God will cause them to get offended and send his angel and get them out. And it's a, it's a responsibility of the pastor to help keep the atmosphere purged from the pollution in the church. And I believe the communion table helps to keep the atmosphere purged from this pollution, this stuff out of the church. Amen? Oh, here's the last couple of things. The bread of presence. In Hebrew, Ya'er is shining Adonai, the Lord, Panava's face. And so there was, a, there was a phrase there in the Bible. It says the bread of presence. And presence is panim. It means faces. And so when it talks about the bread of presence, it's lechem is bread, but panim, it's the face. And it's interesting because the communion table seems to have something to do with a face-to-face with the Lord. I don't fully understand it, but there is an intimacy with God at the communion table. It's like the veil is just removed that's in our lives. Jesus ripped the veil at Calvary, but there's still something, our own flesh, I believe is what it is, that tries to be like a veil. But when you get in that that table of communion, there's something that happens with a face-to-face with the Lord. There's a bread of presence. And uh, Pastor Kilpatrick, before the Brownsville revival broke out, he said that God spoke to him, if you will fill this place with the bread of my presence, I will fill it with my presence. All right, and then number seven, strength for battle. I already mentioned about Joshua and Caleb. They ate manna. They were supernaturally strong. But David's mighty men, the Bible says that David, they were hungry, they were weary, and they ended up at the tabernacle. And the priests that were there said, we don't have any bread here except the bread on the uh, table of showbread. There was 12 loaves there, unleavened bread. It was the communion table. He said, we can't, we can't give you this because... You're not a priest, but they said, you know, we believe your mission is from God, so we're going to go ahead and give it to you anyway. And David and his men ate the consecrated bread. How many knows that sometimes we need strength for battle? People get weary. And I believe that the communion table can provide strength for the battle, supernatural strength. That many have become weak and sickly and feeble among us. They've neglected the Lord's table. But like Israel, we're living in the last days. You have to understand, these these are the closing hours of the church. And the coming of the Lord is near. And I believe just like Israel, God is drawing us back to that Passover table, that communion table, once again. Because why? He's getting us ready to get out of here. He's getting us ready to go. Does this make sense? He's preparing a bride. He's consecrating a bride. He's doing a work in us. 
And when we come out, there's not going to be sick or feeble. Those that are laying hold of the communion table, there's going to be health and there's going to be strength and there's going to be vitality. And we're going to have strength for these last days. The Bible says they're going to be perilous times, fierce times. But we're going to find strength in it. And we're going to be able to be ready for when it's time to go and that shofar blast and the Lord comes. We're going to be ready. Zami knows there's more to the communion table than some little religious ritual. There's a power in the table of the Lord. So when we take it, I want you to have faith that God is releasing fresh what Jesus paid for at Calvary. He's bringing us under his blood to protect us. He's bringing healing. He's bringing a fresh deliverance. If you've been going through warfare, he's giving you strength for the battle. It's powerful. And his blood covers us. We can come into the presence of the Lord. But I believe with all my heart, I'll talk about it more next week in the sermon, but I believe it affects the corporate body so much that there really is a purging out. Some people are very sincere, and God will purge out of them things that need to go. But there's some people that are not sincere. You know, they're Judases and Jezebels and different troublemakers in the church, and God sees them. And the communion table helps to purge them out of the church so that that church can be healthy. All right.